Welcome to The Highway to Well, Episode 5 with Sean Foy. Sean is an internationally renowned author on fitness, weight management, and healthy living. As an author, exercise physiologist, behavioral coach, and speaker, Sean has earned the reputation as America's fast fitness expert. He's appeared on ABC, NBC, Fox, and CBS, and he's a co-author of the New York Times bestseller, The Daniel Plan. He's an inspirational spark to many, and he understands it takes a village, and he cherishes the opportunity to build community. He's a mentor and a dear friend, but he's also someone I look to because he's asking the most essential questions I feel like we need to in our field to help people live a better life. Let's embark on the highway to well. Thank you again for listening. All right, Sean, I think I got this. I think I think it's recording because it's telling me I can either stop it or pause it. So I think we're good. Awesome. I think we're good. Thank you, Sean, for joining me here on the Highway to Well. This is very exciting. I've been anticipating this conversation for a very long time, even before I was aware that I could podcast here, right here in my hometown. I'm so excited to be with you, Derek. Thanks. Thank you. And our, you know, our... Uh, our relationship here began a few years ago when I brought you to Stevens Point to be a keynote presenter at our, at, at the time it was our, our worksite wellness summit um, hosted by ministry, which is now part of the Ascension family of healthcare um, providers. But the reason why that I wanted you to come was that I felt like above all else, you know, in our field, especially today, that there was some, authenticity to the message that you were providing people. And I had been very interested in, in having someone that could relate to everyone. And sometimes I think us in the health and wellness field, without even knowing it unknowingly, can be somewhat condescending at times, or we can talk over our audience just assuming that because they have the information at their disposal, they're going to do the right thing. Mm. And we've learned over the years that that is absolutely the wrong path to be taking to try to support people's behavior change. And your key message really revolved around finding your purpose and finding that one thing that makes you um, assess your life and go into the depths of that behavior change process in a way that matters to them. And, and I felt like your message connected to everyone. And, and when I, when I, had the chance to hear you speak, I, I was very comforted by your ability to do that. But um, most importantly, I think you, you and, and all the, you know, a lot of people are moving into this arena now where we've kind of moved beyond that health risk, um, health promotion, health risk mitigation aspect of our work. And we've realized that when we speak directly about those health risks, that oftentimes we're losing the interest or the, the, the mind, um, the goal in mind of helping make someone make that change. And research and, you know, a good colleague of ours, Vic Strecker, is one to point that out is that purpose time and time again has proven to be above all else, 
the most important intervention or idea about behavior change and making people live a better life. And science is continuing to show that. And you made that central point when you were here talking about that. And I know that's something that you continue to work on every day in what you're doing with your clients and with your groups and with your people. Um, What is it about the role that purpose plays that really is significant for us? Well, well, first of all, I want to thank you for the opportunity just to talk about purpose. And obviously, thank you for just the friendship and just the time together. I'm, I'm so proud of you and so proud of the opportunity to hang out with you for this time. And um, the feeling is mutual, Derek. All the work that you've done and all that you bring to the field is it's incredible. And I think we're, we're just brothers in, in tow in that I so appreciate the authenticity that comes from you. And that is exactly um, how I feel. When, when, we, when I present, when I have the opportunity to present, I often lead with my personal story as opposed to my professional um, focus. But it's funny how they both integrate, and that's around the area of purpose. Um, you know, for your listeners, and Derek, you probably remember, for me, it was, it was very personal. Um, I was searching for my own purpose, especially as an athlete. Um, I was, wow, I was roughly 20 years old when I had my existential crisis. <laughs> Literally leaving the, the field of football and going into this, this, I would say, an existential vacuum where I didn't know what my purpose was other than my sport that I had played for 14 years, you know? And so that, there was a mini opportunity for me to, to start asking those essential questions. You know, why am I here? Who am I? You know, some really critical identity questions, some value questions. Um, I, I began to go down this road where I went from exercise physiology to studying in graduate school, philosophy, theology, psychology, really trying to understand really personally, you know, what is my purpose? Why am I here? And the larger question, right, this, what Viktor Frankl talks about, ultimate meaning, right? What is the ultimate meaning of life? I was trying to tackle that massive question, like so many of us we don't talk about it that often. I think it's such a, such a big question that we have a tendency to bring it down to what I, I hope we'll have a chance to talk about really is our meaning in the moment, setting goals, our calling, what we do for a living. That's really where we land oftentimes. But I was really searching for that ultimate meaning and trying to understand that. Um, so with that journey, oh my goodness, Derek, like you and I have talked about studying and learning from so many people like yourself, Vic Strecker, others who are really pioneers in the field of, of purpose, but going back even further in, you know, studying folks like Aristotle and Viktor Frankl and Dr. Paul Wong and amazing, amazing individuals to help us connect um, this idea of why. Um, so for me, as a, personal trainer and specifically in the fitness field, I was running into this question more times than not when I was addressing clients with their personal goals. Um, so I'll, I'll stop there and give you an opportunity to comment <laughs> or ask another question, but I have a story for you. I want to share with you and your listeners that 
hit me so hard that it, it really changed the direction of how I practiced um, my personal training and my fitness coaching. It changed the trajectory of how I was helping people. Yeah. No, yeah. Please share your story here. I, I've been, I've been taking my mental notes yeah. back to that essential point here, but I want to hear your story because I think I'm going to have one to follow you up. So I was uh, working, I just had enrolled in graduate school. I was just beginning to study psychology in depth. And again, Derek, to be honest, it was really for myself. I was really beginning to put some pieces back together. I went through a severe depression um, when I went through that whole, I, I call it like that dark hole experience where I couldn't get out. Mm-hmm. I literally was, was in this hole trying to grab onto a ladder or something to get out. And so after football was done, when I was in school, I was so thankful that I was getting treatment. I was getting care. To be honest with you and your listeners, I don't think I would have gone to counseling if it weren't for my graduate training. We had to go. You were forced to go to do your own personal hours. It was really a blessing in disguise. Um, but I was also working as a personal trainer. So personal trainer by day and student by night, you know, getting my graduate training. So I was learning some cool stuff. But this one client, I'll never forget, I was working um, at a particular company. They were offering health risk appraisals. And this in walks this gentleman. And for your listeners, Derek, and for yourself, I, you may have heard this story. I shared this before um, when I was with you. His name was Frank. He came in. He was a formidable gentleman. He was a plumber. He was about five foot eight. He was probably about 400 pounds. Just a big man, strong, you know, but um, angry as he walked into the office. And he said this to me. He goes, hey, how do I get paid for that health thing? (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean? And he goes, whatever that questionnaire is, I know I heard if you fill it out, you can get paid for it. And I want to do that. And right off the bat, I could see he was just kind of ticked off, right? And, and so I said, oh, here you go. Here's the questionnaire. Here's your pencil, blah, blah, blah. So he's sitting down filling this questionnaire out. And the whole time, Derek, I, I feel him just peering at me, looking at me, right? And I, I sheepishly, you know, looked in his direction. And uh, I said, Frank, do you have a question? Do you need anything? And he said, you know, I don't get it. I just don't get it. I don't understand why. And he emphasized that. He goes, I just don't get why. Why do you guys talk about all this exercise, this nutrition? And with a few expletives along the way, he just basically blasted me and said, you are wasting your time. And so I'm thinking, oh boy. And honestly, Derek, this, I, I took it like a personal challenge, right? Mm-hmm. So I literally pulled my chair up right next to him. And I thought, here's my opportunity. Here's my opportunity give him all of the research and all the science of, you know, why we should exercise, why we should eat well. And I was ready. I, I thought I was ready. And I just looked at him and said, Frank, you know, did you know if you were to exercise? And I just started going like rattling off all the best science I thought, right? And I'll never forget, I closed with this. And I said, Frank, did you know if you exercise consistently, regularly, um, that you can live seven more years? <laughs> and I thought, okay, for sure I got him. I got him, right? I thought, I'm, hey, what I'm sharing is transformational. It's like, oh my gosh. And um, he looked at me and he paused. He was silent for a second. He looked me straight in the eyes, did not even blink. And he said, what if you don't want to live seven more years? Mm-hmm. And when he said that, Derek, I, 
I pretended to not hear him. I said, what? I mean, excuse me, Frank. And I was fishing for like, are you, what? I've never heard that. He said, yeah, I know I've been slowly killing myself and I, I don't care. And with a few other expletives along the way, he said, I don't have any reason to exercise. I don't have any reason to, to eat well. There is no why for me. When he said those things to me, I, I felt like he was speaking for humanity in mm. many ways. I felt like he was saying, if you don't know your life purpose, if you don't have something that's beyond a reunion or a wedding or getting into a pair of pants or just lowering your blood pressure or your cholesterol for the doctor or all the things I was taught in school to, you know, share with people to help them, to motivate them to live healthier. Um, he was basically crying out saying, I don't have any more purpose. I don't have a reason in my life. And what I didn't share with you, Derek, is this gentleman was a Vietnam veteran mm-hmm. and he actually shared with me in our first meeting he did tell me, he goes, I've been in Vietnam. I've seen stuff you don't want to see. And I felt completely unqualified. I just shrunk down to feel like I have nothing to give this man. Uh, he challenged me like to say, what is your reason? What is your purpose? And all I could come up with was what I was taught, which was good information, but it wasn't addressing his need. Mm-hmm. So it sent me on a quest. He literally left that, that time with me and he blew out of there, ticked off, didn't finish his questionnaire and left. And I thought, Oh my gosh, I don't know, Derek, if you've ever felt like this or your listeners have felt like this, I felt like an utter failure. It's mm-hmm. like four years of undergraduate school in graduate school. And I had no answer <laughs> for him. Um, but it was, it was a blessing. It was a teaching. It was an opportunity to press deeper and start digging and asking those questions of what is purpose? What, what is that, that word? How, how do we distinguish what purpose is? And ultimately, how do we find that, that meaning in life and meaning behind living well? How do we, how do we find that? Yeah. So, Yeah. Yeah, that, you know, like, as you're talking, and I, I think we're faced, there's a couple of things that I'm comforted. You're, you're like, you're like a, you're like a blanket here that I pull over when I'm thinking about philosophy and wellness and these ideas. And we've had, we've had conversations and I've heard part of that story before, but, um, but it, it's echoed in a lot of times the work that we do. I, I had to, I had to give a men's health talk at a company um, here in our region. And for all, all intent and purposes, the, the goal, the company had asked that I cover some of the basic information about health risk. Like what number should I be paying attention to as a male? What are key issues as I'm aging that I should be thinking about preventive screenings? At what age should I have this type of screening done? And it's pretty dry information. It's information that for the most part, a lot of these guys have heard before or seen before it's easy to put on a flyer and handle and I get through this uh, basic talk and one of the and and at the end of it I I had thrown in a little bit of information about purpose Mm -hmm. I felt compelled to at least address in the short time that I still had to talk to them about after getting through all of these 
ideas about your health and your risk management, what I want you to do is to shift and start thinking about the happiness and purpose in your life. And I didn't have a lot of time to do it, but I, I covered some of some of the ground and had them think. And, um, and, and uh, after this talk, so one of the, one of the guys in the talk came up to me and you know, when someone's approaching you, uh, what kind of conversation you're about to have? Cause he seemed a bit nervous about saying something to me, but he's, he just said, he thanked me for at least talking about, happiness and purpose. And then he went on to tell me about um, where he felt with his life. And it's not that different than the, the guy that you had the encounter with. He, he, that their company too, they did wellness screenings and he said he hadn't participated because he didn't really understand why. And their actual, the benefit for doing it wasn't great enough to get him to do it. Um, so he had bypassed all the health risk assessment and screening. But what he told me was he felt lost and he mm. felt lost as a parent he was a, uh, he and his wife had divorced. And so he was a part-time parent and that he had been struggling with and his kids were now deep in their teenage years where as a parent, you start to get that you have your emotional distance because they're teens and they're yeah. growing in their own independence. And you sometimes you're not sure how to parent them as, as they're growing. Um, and he felt that. And then, and he, his job had lost all meaning to him. And again, like you get to that point and, you, and your initial idea is, oh, okay, where in that behavior change, how can I talk to him? You know, where, where in the Prochaska model does he fit? Where am I going to stage his change? But then, you, and then, but you, but I, and I think this is where, why you want to have these great conversations is I, I came about my health promotion from a little different background. I was a sociology and anthropology major in my undergraduate work and my health promotion came through my working with the, at the National Wellness Institute and then later my master's level work. Um, but at that point, I got to that, that clicked in me, all of the philosophical groundings that I had gone through throughout my, my undergraduate training. And, and I studied philosophy quite a bit. I've always studied philosophy and it took me back to the, that existential question about who we are. And if, and if you, you can't, you know, purpose is a hard thing to wrap your, mind around if you haven't figured out really who you are. And so I, one thing I did talk to him about was just sit down and do some idea, like mapping of who you are, like write down, put yourself in the middle, just write your name and then go write down the roles that you play, all these different roles you have. And then I want you to write down on one side, what it takes to be good at it. If in an ideal situation, how can you be the best parent or how can you be the best step parent? Um, and how can you be the best um, father, you know, or um, at the time, you know, an employee for his job? And so what, what does it take to be good at it? And then on the other side, write down how you feel about where you are today. And then let's start talking about other ideas about excellence. And first, let's get you to figure out what it is that you want before you get to that purpose, because that purpose is not going to be anchored in yourself, which is that huge philosophical question that takes us back to Aristotle and in yes. all of the, if you can go back and read Rousseau, Hobbes, Kant, and all the great philosophers, Hume, they all keep coming back to this same question. And the beautiful part in, in where we are in the wellness field is I feel like we've finally approached the bridge between traditional, like the, that traditional philosophical um, query about, 
who are we to evaluating what that means in how to live an excellent life, how to live a vibrant life and marrying those two across this spectrum. You know, and I think you're absolutely right, Derek. I think um, Dr. Seligman with his work, um, you know, moving us from the pleasant life, you know, really just trying to enjoy life. And I think most philosophers and many psychologists would say that that's, maybe the period or stage of our lives where there's more, more of a hedonistic perspective where Mm -hmm. pleasure is very important and we're pursuing that. And we can see that. I think if we look at our life stages and then we get to the second stage of good, the good life, you know, focusing on our values and our strengths, which is obviously very powerful. But then that third, and it's almost like Dr. Seligman, you know, the father of positive psychology going to the meaningful life, you know, what does it mean to have a meaningful life and something that's beyond us, something that um, isn't just ourselves. And, and I think that's a, we're moving in a direction now that's so wonderful and so positive. And I agree, I agree with you hundred percent. I think this ph- philosophical understanding of why, I mean, Mark Twain said it best, right? The two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. And for me, I was presuming with my client, Frank, that he knew his why. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of the way we approach um, health and wellness and well-being and that we assume that most people are connected to their greater purpose. You know, and we th- and I think a good definition of purpose, Derek, a working definition, I keep running across so many different definitions, but it really is our uniqueness, our, our essence, not just what we do, but it's who we are, to your point. So in other words, I can fulfill my, my greater purpose if I'm riding in a taxi cab or if I'm, I'm out on the soccer field with my kids. I can, I can really find that sense of purpose because it is a part of me. It's a part of my essence of who I am. And I think that's critical. You know, um, Victor Frankl, he's one of my favorites. And I, I, for those your listeners that may not be familiar, you know, really someone, the father of logotherapy, who was a psychiatrist, a brilliant man, but thrown into, you know, Nazi Germany concentration camps. He was Jewish and he began to study human behavior in the concentration camps. He determined that freedom of choice that having the ability to choose, even when you're going through suffering, that you can find meaning in and through suffering was profound to me. I thought, oh my goodness, that we can find, sig-. and when I think of meaning, I think of significance. How do we find significance in our daily lives, in our suffering, in our difficulties? And so when I look at Frankel, um, Derek, and we talk about, I think, tangible things for our our clients and for your listeners, you know, Dr. Frankel, I think he nailed it. There really are three ways that we can, we can find a greater sense of purpose and meaning in our lives. Um, he had three, three stages of, of meaning. The first was ultimate meaning. This is our transcendent meaning. This is like, like almost like he felt we, it was difficult to ob- obtain it. It was, it was a lofty goal, very spiritual in essence. That was the larger questions of life, Right the why of life. Um, Frankel believed though that we all have a will to meaning. And this is fascinating, Derek. I found this fascinating when I was studying it, that he believed that the dysfunction, the addictions, the overeating, the overdrinking, the overwork, whatever, the over we were involved in, the compulsions, 
were all due to, primarily due to, an existential vacuum, uh, a lack of meaning, meaninglessness in our lives. And he believed that we were engaged in this type of behavior. He even found in his research, criminal behavior was tied to a sense of meaninglessness and purposelessness. Interesting. And so what he believed is if we could help people find their sense of purpose and meaning in life, we can ultimately fill that vacuum to where behavior, now it makes sense, like to Frank, if we can help him find that sense of meaning and purpose again, now it makes sense. Okay, now I'll begin to eat better. Now I'll begin to exercise because there's a reason to do that. I was presuming that he had that. Mm -hmm. So going back to the three levels of meaning, ultimate meaning, the second form of meaning was a calling or an activity in life like our work. He felt that ultimately we can find a sense of meaning and purpose in our work. He referred to that as a calling. Even if there's a, you know, whether it's a, a, a faith-based perspective or a non-faith-based, we ultimately can find a greater sense of meaning in our, in our work. And then the third level was a meaning uh, in the moment. I think that's important. We, we find that and setting goals. And even in the fitness realm where maybe we create a competition that we want to compete in, that is creating meaning and existential existentialism. I mean, you think about you can create meaning and that's what existentialists believe. So I started studying a lot of this, Derek, and I know you have as well. And it, it was, it began to change the way I thought about approaching people. So here, here's what I, I started thinking. Every session I had with a client was an opportunity to engage in existential questions. Because in the past, we would avoid them. We would just just basically like, oh, we're not going to go there. That's too deep. But whenever I would hear a client ask why, I would naturally go back to my interactions with Frank. And I'll tell you this, this is what was fascinating. Frank came back to see me and it was, a, I think it was a week later, he came back, came in, sat in the office. And thankfully I learned one thing in my graduate training. And that was, if you don't know what to say, don't say anything, just be there, be present for your client, just kind of shut up and listen. And I just listened there. And he began to talk and he began to share and he began to unload and unpack all of the crap that he had seen and, and experienced in Vietnam. And we began to become fast friends. I didn't say a word to him about exercise and nutrition or health or anything. And he just would come back. And he was teaching me. I'll be honest with you. I was learning so much from him. I was amazed at what he endured. He was drinking, Derek, a case of Coke a day. Uh -huh. He shared with me the alcoholism, the drug addiction. But he had now graduated to now just drinking a case of Coke a day. But he was, like I mentioned, 400 pounds. But he was searching for his why. He was searching for his greater purpose in life. And so was I, to be honest with you. I was still trying to understand and piece it all together. I'll never forget, Derek, it was probably eight months into meeting. I would see him probably three to four times a week, sometimes 10 minutes, sometimes a half an hour. He'd come in at lunchtime. And I'll tell you what, he just began to piece things together. And he said to me, I'll never forget this, probably eight months in, he said, Sean, do you remember that exercise program you were talking about months ago? And I, honestly, I, I didn't remember even the conversation. He reminded me and he said, um, 
I'd love to start an exercise program. And this was my question to him. Why? <laughs> right? And right. He, he said to me, he said, it's for my daughter. Yeah. It's for my daughter. And he said this, Derek, he said, I want to be at my daughter's wedding. I'm like, Oh my, I almost started crying at the spot. It's like, you, you found it, Frank. You just taught me, you just taught me like a valuable lesson of, of course, we've got to help people understand that, that greater sense of meaning and purpose in their lives. Because Derek, I feel like in so many interactions, I've missed that opportunity to help people clamp on to that, that, that greater sense of purpose that literally will propel them through those difficulties, those, those hard times of change. We know change is not easy. It's difficult. So um, Frank taught me so much in that moment, in that time, in the interaction together of really helping people begin to ask the hard questions, to, to go through that existential angst of anxiety, of a, a sense of freedom and choice, of, of difficulty, of meaninglessness. What do we do with that vacuum? And Frank was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he helped me piece together, along with studying in graduate school, putting together a model that, um, frankly, I'm still working on, but it's becoming clearer, Derek. It's becoming much clearer that I really think this, this is a place we need to start. Our, I think the why to well-being, I think we need to start there. It's ground zero. Because everything else, don't get me wrong, there's great stuff on habit formation. There's great sense on really a changing behavior. I think Prochaska's model, there's great stuff psychologically. But I think if we don't address this, this, this construct, this, this, this foundational question of why, right? Why, why take better care of my health and well-being? Why do it? Yeah, um, well, and we've seen too in the, yeah, I think it was Barbara Fredrickson who has been doing a lot of work on um, understanding health and well-being and purpose. Um, she's she's done some studies. I think Vic I think Vic Strecker pointed this out in Life on Purpose, but her study on taking desire-driven activities versus purpose-driven, and how that going back to what you said about our somewhat our hedonistic tendencies for that hormonal that positive hormonal release that captures us in that moment and makes us feel good. And then that purpose-related, growth-related um, sense of challenge and, and growing into ourself, that there's the same sort of hormonal release. But in her study, what she found was that the people that had um, desire-driven, th- that they had, that both of these things, basically, they were connected and that they both made people happy. But what she found is after doing blood work, is, is that the people that had um, that had grown attached to their purpose and growth related challenges in their lives in the blood work had lower, um, lower values of, of inflammation and had better health scores, which is something ties us back into, you know, for us in the health and health promotion and wellness field is we always like to try to find some data to prove what we're talking about. And sometimes that gets us lost in, in going around in circles over what we're, what we should be focusing on. But I think to get back to your point is these are, these are these early stages for us to have real conversations about that philosophical journey of why you're not going to find hardcore data that 
is going to really satisfy all of it. But what we continue to see is purpose-driven life tends to lead to a healthier, um, whether it's a set of blood work values or as Vic pointed out, and I think the Mayo Clinic too, I, I, I remember reading a study where they had, they had assessed people that had um, come in for treatment over 40 years and that people who had a higher level of happiness in their question set also had reduced reentry into the hospital into the care system and had shorter days spent in the hospital they were healing quicker and we continue to see this and if we need the data then then we have the data at our dispose but it, we still it's fair for us to ask questions that we may not have the data on but it's okay for us to go ahead and search them and go ahead and ask and whether or not that leads us to um, uh, any sort of understanding of that ultimate journey. I mean, that's those are the questions we should be asking and move beyond just that health risk management tendency that we that we kind of fall back on, which I, I appreciate. That's where I really appreciate your point of view in this field as a major voice constantly reminding us that, yes, the, the purpose and the why are what we're here for. We're here for that self-examination. If we're if we're not doing that, then what are we really doing? Absolutely. If we're calling ourselves, you know, wellness professionals, or we talk about well-being, then what does that really mean? Mm-hmm. That's a purpose-driven life that has the substance enough to make us choose those healthier activities or a healthier way to live because we want to make it to our daughter's wedding, or we want to um, experience something great and. And it's funny that, you know, you were mentioning too, um, when we talk about adversity too, you're, you know, when you talk about your existential crisis, having that in your twenties, um, this is where I link back into thinking about mine as well. And, and that was a critical time when I was a, when I dropped out of law school, um, there was a, there was a crisis at hand there and, that was for me the chance to take a step back and reflect and move on to valuing my life in a different way as, as a pathway and feeling incredibly embarrassed, vulnerable, um, depressed, and, and really angry at, at where I was. And then deciding that I have a, I have a purpose here and I need, to, I need to really start thinking more about that. I need to spend some time thinking about that. And I was fortunate that I had a couple um, people that I could talk to about this and mentor some really wonderful mentors in my life that kind of started pointing me in a direction. And, and I'm grateful for that. And that journey, you know, here we are talking today about the value of all these things. And in my role as a wellness professional, also as a youth coach, I'm in position to help people discover that what is the what is the purpose of what we're doing if we're if we don't have the purpose then all the technical tactical stuff no matter what it is if it's on the field or if it's in if it's in the kitchen it's not yeah. going to matter if that purpose hasn't been sorted out absolutely absolutely you know derek I, I i don't know how many of your listeners know what an incredible writer you are uh, <laughs> i mean i've had the privilege of of reading so many articles that you've written in that's why I think you and I became such fast friends um, because so much of what you just shared, I mean, your story and going through those difficulties, it's formed you. 
it's prepared you for where you are now and what you're doing and the impact that you're having on our industry is profound. And I think we, we forget that, right? When we're going through those difficulties, that dark, that dark night of the soul, that, that time when we're in that hole, we don't see it. I didn't see it. Um, the interactions with people like Frank and many, many others, some different stories, but ultimately I think the theme that I continue to see even to this day, Derek, is that, and I know you do as well, is that so many people are seeking that, that larger question of what is my why? And I think, like you just pointed out, we go through different stages of life. I just did um, a six-week retirement program in L.A. County, and it was such a great experience. Derek. We were talking about um, purpose, and it was beautiful. It was a purpose workshop. But to talk to these folks in retirement, I cannot tell you. And these were folks, L.A. County, they're all doing great financially. They're getting, you know, full package pension. They don't have to worry another day of their lives about finances, right? They're set for the rest of their lives. But I cannot tell you how many people were saying to me how much depression, anxiety, um, struggle they were having in life because they feel like their purpose was gone now that work was over. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So we go, I think we go through these existential um, crises through different stages of life. Parenting, I, I know for my wife and I, when our two kids graduated and left the house, there was a period of like, oh, we, we shifted. Like there's such a huge amount of our energy and time spent on forming our kids. Almost like that was another key element to our purpose and our sense of value. So, but reevaluation is good. It, it helps to strengthen us, a reflection on who I am. Why am I here? What am I doing? These are critical. And again, going back to the well-being, the wellness world, uh, I really, and I'm so thankful for the opportunity to talk with you about this because I think we need a, a revolution, a revival in a sense of helping practitioners like us start with why. Begin the conversation early. Begin to help people not to find their why, but to unlock it right? It's there. It's in story. It's in so many things that you've written about, Derek. They're so good. Exercises that people can go through, like Frankel, what he would do with clients is he would help them find really within three areas. You know, number one, is there a sense of, of doing, he called it creating mm -hmm. something you can do, whether it's within your work or maybe it's an artistic or finding your strengths. I know Seligman is phenomenal at, at identifying your unique strengths and utilizing those. But then also in engaging, you know, how do we engage with nature? How do we find meaning and purpose outside of ourselves? That's, you know, really the second stage, the, the second area. But then also thirdly, how do we find meaning and purpose within our relationships yeah. with our loved ones, right? Yeah. I mean, this goes back to the PERMA model of, of Seligman. Of, if we can bring all those together, that's well-being. It's not just losing weight or a number on your blood pressure where we were going. And I think we're, I think I'm so glad there it's shifting. We're beginning to get people to get away from looking at those, just those result numbers. Yeah. Focus on the process. Let's focus on the journey, right? Yeah. Yeah, the pro yeah, the process, you know, that's there I've been really in there's a couple things that have queued in outside of the field about process that that I'll talk about in a second. But what you're describing too, one of the activities that I have had the most fun in, and I think I wrote about it with with um one of the well called pieces that I put together for you was the idea of having people sit down with just some paper 
and some markers or pens or crayons and just draw themselves as an object. And that there's a couple things that does one it because everyone is automatically self-conscious about their artistic ability. So that way it gets them away from having to worry about drawing themselves as a person, which is really a lot of people, they don't want to do that. They will not draw. And I don't want a bunch of stick figures either. But when you get to people, when you, when you give them some time and, and you let them think and actually have the time to process their life mm-hmm. and figure out if I had to draw myself as an object, what would I be? Then it creates, you know, for all of those pieces like Seligman talks about your strengths and, um, and, and then putting together behavior change and all the wellness stuff. I, you know, I'm try I try to find a way to put everything into something that is meaningful to someone in a moment that lets them process their life. And we, we miss the art of processing and we move on and because of all the roles that we play, but when we take a step back and we think about, okay, well, what am I, you know, we did a workshop here where people were drawing themselves and there were some really brilliant pieces. And usually you find everyone kind of has this light bulb moment where like, Oh my gosh, I, I am actually a hammer. Like I love fixing things. I love being there for people. I am a, I will break, I will knock down a wall to make sure that I can get something accomplished. Like they, that's a person who knows who they are. And then you don't need to talk so much about purpose. They know their purpose. So now let's get you to maximize those things. How do you feel about your why in each of these, if whether it's your role as a father, a husband, or um, a coworker or an owner of your own, your own enterprise. Um, But then you get into some people who haven't really thought about it. And then I had um, one of the people in the session, they, they, they didn't know at the time, but then the next day I got a message saying, you know what? I figured it out. I'm a shoe. Mm-hmm. And it was a, it was a light bulb moment. They figured out that they carry, you know, like, well, why issue? And then they start talking about, you know, how they, that they carry their family and, and the shoelaces are, are a metaphor for tying things up. Like you want to be neatly tied and, and you're working, you're pounding the pavement day after day because you're a mom and people depend on you and, and shoes are durable. They need to be durable. So you have to be strong. It is amazing what people can what they're willing to share when you relieve them of directly talking about themselves, but talking about themselves, it's like a vehicle for them for that self-expression, which then ties into what you and I talk about is when we get to those, when we're ta- when we really are talking about purpose, we're talking about that deeply personal essence of being that makes you feel fulfilled. And if you're not, then what, what can we do to help you arrive there? You know, and it, and then you tie that into the, the whole, getting out of so now you put the person that's figured themselves out into a community of people and we're sharing now we're starting to share that right energy that interconnectedness and that's part of our human condition too is once we we're all actors in this community of sorts of whatever it is and what role are we playing to help encourage others around us too which is that that again takes us on a whole nother extension of this idea but it ties into that purpose. And that's getting back to some of the things I've been reading about. There was a, a really good book, um, Zuck recently, it was about Facebook and the 2016 election. Mm-hmm. But it was really about how our brain works. And BJ Fogg was one of the people that was spotlighted in the book because of his work as a as a as in the information technology area at Stanford. But he's also someone that we look to for habit forming in our wellness field 
right. because he has an understanding of how habits are formed. And, and he, he was very critical of the way our technology operates now and how that changes our behavior in different ways because it, it feeds to the, like the lowest common denominator of our essence. And then, and then, it, and then it's exacerbated because of the way things are counted in algorithms and technology is that we, we create these filters of information that are loosely, um, for the most part, not factual. They're more um, emotionally driven right. and, and people attach themselves to it. And then our technology builds algorithms so that all the information you collect is a lot like that. Right. So you're missing out on the rest of the world in a, in a way, which is pretty dangerous. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. So true. You know, uh, Derek, what you mentioned earlier about helping individuals describe themselves as an object. I absolutely love that exercise because it's really a safe way of giving an individual really psychological distance that they can um, create something. It, it's it, for, for example, it's difficult as a health professional to, to press someone when you're sitting down with them, talking to them about their goals, for example, (laughs) what would you like to accomplish? What would you like to achieve this year with your health goals? And they say, I want to lose weight. And then you look at them and say, why? And they say, well, I want to look better. And then you say to them, why? And they say, well, everybody wants to look better. Don't you want to look better? And then we press them again. Well, why? And it's, it's very obtrusive. It, It almost feels in a sense that you're pushing them against the wall. But the exercise that you referred to is a very gentle way of helping people explore creatively. What is their object? And I absolutely love that. When you sent that article to me, I I was working on it myself. I thought, I'm going to do this. And so I I thought of myself, first of all, I'm a dumbbell. And and I don't mean that like that, but I really probably should say I'm a barbell. And then I feel like, I feel like I'm uniquely called my purpose, my sense of essence is to strengthen others. Mm. And how do I do that? Um, I started off in the physical realm, helping people to become stronger physically. And as an athlete, former athlete, I really respect that. But then as I've grown older and, and studying more, especially in the psychological field and the philosophical realm is how can I help people become stronger emotionally, relationally, spiritually, and so that, that idea of strength, that theme runs across my life through stories, through examples, through interests, through strengths, um, through values. So I absolutely love that exercise. And I would really encourage your listeners to, to give that a try, to start there. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful foundational exercise. Yeah, it's, it is really neat to see what happens. There are people that, you know, they're they're obviously like the group of people in every session that get it right away and they kind of have a sense of it. But for the most part, people really take the time to think about this and then they, they change and, and I allow them, you know, when I, when I'm doing this, I try to give them a, a more time than they actually probably need because then they stop and they reflect a little bit. And I'm a huge fan of the, of the Dutch concept of Nixon, the whole concept of doing nothing except daydreaming and processing for a short period of time because then your creativity sparks and you, you start to really, again, get into the process. And then what people come out of that, it's um, sometimes people have 
almost a metamorphosis. They'll, they'll think, oh man, I really want to be this. Or I had a, there was a woman that drew a dock, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so she started talking about what this dock means to her. And it was her father had recently passed away. And this was on a land, a piece of land that was part of the families. And this place had the most special meaning to her, you know, and, and it was the, she really had time to think about how much this means to her and what, and picture what, what is this doc going to mean to my family recently married or having kids? And they're going to grow up knowing that there's this place that is a memory of the family and the traditions that have been passed down from time to time. And, you know, if they don't do this exercise, yes, they think about it. Yes, it still exists, but does it exist in the same way that is as meaningful to them? Have they taken the time to really think about it? Right. You know, or the people that get caught up in, you know, in, in this, for the most part, these are the people we work with are people that are so busy. They haven't even thought, they haven't thought for a second about what they're really doing. And if you ask them who they are, they're going to give you a long elevator speech of a parent and their job and go through all of that. When really you just want to know who are you get, just open up and tell me like, what is the most meaningful thing to you or what, what does it mean to you? to, to live this, the way that you're living. And then that's where you get into like, you know, like you said with um, Frank, as you start to discover the layers of all the complexity of, of life, the resiliency, the challenges and, and everything that ultimately gets to that point where he's developed trust, probably that trust in you, but you've also allowed him the chance to process over a long enough period of time that now he's, now he's really interested in getting in that exercise program because being with his daughter is the most meaningful thing. And you know, going back, Derek, to that story, I don't know if I've shared this with you. I don't think I shared it when I was speaking at um, the conference a couple of years ago. Um, so Frank began to come back regularly, not only to meet, but also to train. And what was amazing was he began to, as we'll hopefully have a chance to talk about, just form new habits. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting because Ultimately, I think James Clear has a great way of approaching this, and that is this identity-based habits, this idea of identity-based habits. I didn't know at the time. This was years ago. Mm-hmm. But we began to challenge his thought process of who he was. You know, Frank kept going back to being this, this angry, um, you know, individual. Didn't want to live, to be honest with you. He was really there at that place. He could have cared less if, if he were alive or dead. And we had to we had to change and challenge that thought process of ultimately you know finding and, and almost grabbing onto that why and that was his daughter he found that 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 was one component of his why very important to him and what was interesting is I saw in a rare window and Derek I, this is my hope and prayer for for us as health professionals that when we encounter individuals we have a rare window of opportunity because many people come to us because they're suffering. They're struggling, right? And what we can help them do is reframe that suffering as an opportunity. They don't see it as an opportunity. They see it as, oh my gosh, I cannot stand this. I just want to lose this weight. But it's more than the weight. It's much more than the weight. And if we can help them see that and give them tools to help transform beyond that, that idea. I saw this in Frank. He not only lost over 150 pounds, he began to experience some of the positive emotions that you were referring to earlier. I actually saw this guy go from 
ticked off at the world, not wanting to live, to now coming into the office and glowing, happy, contented, pursuing therapy, getting help, relating with his family, fellow employees that couldn't stand him because he was so gruff and so mean were actually, he was forming relationships with him. It was unbelievable. It was like transformational. And I can't even take any real credit for it because I was like a student just watching him. He transformed before my eyes because he found his why. And it was, it, it woke me up to a really, an understanding that, that what I was doing was so uh, inefficient and deficient that I began to really understand that there's got to be a much larger dynamic that's in play here. And it, it really, in my opinion, goes back to helping people discover their why. And going back to the habit formation, Frank not only began to dive into a new identity that he really wanted to accomplish, he began to change his behavior habitually. I will tell you this, though, what um, tragically Frank, unfortunately, um, contracted cancer. Mm. And I did have a chance to go to his, his funeral. He passed away. It was probably about four. He, he lived another five years. Um, actually, no, it was longer than that. It was like eight years. And I went back to um, his service. And I got to tell you, Derek, um, you talk about what a moving experience. Small little church with a chapel. I was um, there amongst maybe, there probably were 25 people there. And I'm sitting in the back. And, you know, I didn't know anyone other than Frank, obviously. And um, there was four guys in the second row. And they were all dressed in full Marine regalia. You know, these were his buddies. These were all guys, same age as Frank. And every single one of them, tears in their eyes. They knew what Frank had been through. They mm-hmm. knew personally. And I just watched those men and I was so proud of Frank. I was just so proud of the man he was and the man he had become in just that time that I, I knew him. And this was the best part. I had an opportunity to meet his daughter mm-hmm. and Derek, his daughter came up to me and she was so lovely and so filled with gratitude that I had a chance to share with her how I had seen this transformation in her dad. And it just, I mean, even to this day, it moves me because a, that's why we're in this field mm. is because we really want to touch people's lives and help them change. But to see the impact that Frank had, he was there for his daughter's wedding. He actually got to be there. Mm. He actually had an opportunity to speak into her life and to be a part of her life for a longer period of time. Um, So what an amazing, meaningful opportunity for me, but for Frank to teach me a valuable lesson. And that is you can find meaning in suffering. And he did. Mm -hmm. He found a way to push through all the crap he saw in Vietnam and to overcome and transform. And he did. Um, And he's been, he's been a guiding light for me in so many ways. Yeah, when it's a that is and that's something I think we we definitely need to spend more time really talking about as as in our field is that we've practiced, you know, we've we spent a lot of time talking about wellness in a dimensional model based on risk and research-based, evidence-based practices and programs, that's great. 
it's done. We've done tremendous work, but one of the, you know, and, and it takes me back to one of the best presenters. One of the best presentations I ever saw was a, a, a nurse, Fern Carnes, um, who had been a long time um, participant and speaker at our national wellness conference that, that was used to be here in Stevens point. And she had, she had been battling breast cancer for years and she was supposed to die multiple times based on how bad the cancer had gotten. And we had, and she had continued to persevere. And she talked about this. We, we had a, what we called a legacy talk and we'd bring people out and do a, like a keynote type presentation. But there were always people who had been involved with the organization for a long time, had really been in the field for a long time. And we wanted to give them a chance to do a speech that was not like their typical keynote speech, but something of a celebration of, of life and, and of the field. And oftentimes, by far, these were some of the best presentations I ever saw, but hers was most meaningful because she didn't know if she was even going to be at that conference. And we had talked multiple times about, well, what happens if not, what happens if not? And she would joke, she actually got up on the stage and she joked and she's giving the Fern Carnes Memorial presentation. And, and, and that's her, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm Fern Carnes giving the Fern Carnes Memorial talk this year that she just had. And, and it was, you know, for a, I, at the time I would say a younger person growing up in the field, she taught me more than anyone else about what wellness, what well-being really is and about purpose because she talked about living the most amazing life, changing people's lives, going through her practice as an RN and, and moving out of practicing first aid and treatment into promotion, promoting health and well-being and, and helping people that were sick find value and joy in their lives. And she was doing dragon boat racing and doing all sorts of adventures with cancer, knowing that, that all of this energy she was expending was going to help her live longer, but live better. Mm -hmm. And then over the years I got to know her and, and it was, it was, I was in tears in her talk out of joy and sadness, realizing that this is a person that is, we may not see again by next year, but if we do, it's just, it is such a joy to have her around and in the field because this is a conversation that we need to have about um, we are going to get sick or we are going to have issues and face things in our lives that are challenging. Mm -hmm. But if we have our purpose, getting back to, you know, looping this back to everything we've been talking about is it sure makes that living different. And it, and it allows us the chance to live longer. And, and like I said, all the research points to the fact that we'll heal better, we'll live longer, and even with disease, we'll have a longer extended life if we can value our life and our purpose. And so like people like Frank may not have lived as long as he did if it wasn't for the time that you spent with him and that intervention, his intervention with you and your intervention yeah, yeah, with him. Absolutely. A two-sided intervention there, which is always the best kind. But uh, that those are things that, you know, we we undervalue or we underestimate the importance of that, I think. And we, we don't have that discussion enough about that. All of this is really way more important than talking about a few blood pressure numbers. No question. And you know what, Derek, as you're speaking, it, it just, the word hope just keeps coming to me. When we have a sense of purpose and meaning in our lives, we have this sense of hope. We even going through difficulty, which we all know, 
is part of our life experience. And having hope and having a sense of optimism, it, it dramatically changes us. It changes our affect. It changes our motivations. It changes who we are as individuals. I saw that first thing in Frank. I've seen it in so many hundreds, if not thousands of people, when they begin to grab on to that greater sense of purpose in their lives. Um, it, it's, it's absolutely incredible to see. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm so thankful that, um, again, you've written on it, but also that you, you understand it as well. So if, again, I feel like I'm talking to the choir when I talk to you and it's <laughs> fun. It's fun to sit, actually sing with the choir, but, um, uh-huh. it's one of those topics that I'm constantly learning and diving into. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the, one of the most brilliant things I ever heard was in one of those legacy talks, uh, Don Tubasing, who has started a wellness publishing company in Duluth, Minnesota, whole person associates. So, um, so he had, he had been involved, he'd long retired and he and his wife were looking for places to live. And he was talking about this in his, in his legacy talk. He had he'd been retired for a few years. So we brought him out of retirement to give this talk. And, and he said that he, he chose, he chose to retire in in New Mexico, which is not a hot spot for retirement. And they also picked a, a neighborhood that had a lot of young families, which is also not something that's typical of retiring. And he said that the the impetus behind that was that when he when he does pass away, he wanted over half the people at his funeral to be less than half his age. Wow. And I thought that was the most amazing thing. Wow. If like if I could live a life that continues to have that as just a central theme, then you stay engaged and you have to grow to stay engaged. I mean, the world is constantly changing. And and so it helps us feel that change along with the people that we're working with and to help us stay engaged. You know, like I think you had mentioned something earlier and I thought for a second, well, one of the biggest issues I see is that we often – if we compartmentalize our health, then we tend to think we've arrived somewhere once we've, once we've gotten either those five pounds off or those 10 pounds off or, you know, whatever, whatever the issue may be that we're trying to focus on, we think that that that's the end of it. And then, you know, five years or or one year later, we're 20 pounds heavier or we're in a, we're in a deeper situation because we actually didn't get to the root of the issue in the first place. And a lot of that is that our, you know, that comes back to like, again, going back to that, we, the idea that we're, we may make behavior change for really short sighted results. And we may decide we're going to lose five pounds. And then we think this is awesome. This is the best life ever, but we really haven't gotten to the reasons why, because we haven't really processed and spent enough time thinking about the long game there about what it is that we want to achieve in the long, what, what does this mean in the bigger picture of my life? Absolutely. And I think, Derek, you and I have talked about this before and that that idea of, for example, if I want to run a marathon, it's a great goal. It's fantastic. But how many people do you know or have ran a half a marathon or maybe a 5K or something like that? It's great to have those goals. But really, it's not the goal that we should be focused on. It's the systems like James Clear talks about. We really need to talk about the process, the systems. What, What kind of systems can you put in place to become an athlete instead of focusing on and really, that's an identity question, right? Who do you want to become? And what would that person be doing? You right. and I have talked a lot about writing. You know, I think of a writer. 
Um, a, a, a true writer is someone that's going to write daily or, or regularly. They're, even if they do it for five minutes a day, they're writing. I think it, I heard a story about Stephen King. He every day wakes up at the same time. He writes for the same period of time, but he has to produce six pages of work every day, six pages. And that's a professional. That's a writer. He looks at himself. I'm a writer. But I think for some of us that want to become a writer, we think, well, you know, I'll do it when I'm, when I'm motivated or when I'm inspired to do it. And oftentimes that just doesn't come. But I think the same is true in the wellness well-being world, right? That, oh, I'll exercise when I feel like it or when I want to lose weight or when I want to maybe train for something. Not saying that's bad, but I think if we look at the system as opposed to the goal, I think James Clear in Atomic Habits does a great job of just dispelling that myth, that idea of let's not focus on the goal, not that it's bad, but let's focus on the process. Let's look at your systems. If we put the systems in place to help you change, you're going to change. There's yeah. that. I, I truly believe that, and you know this, Derek, as an athlete, when we look at athletes, I know when I was playing football, I was put in an environment where I had to train. I, I love this phrase. I, I, it was uh, by John Orberg. He came up with the phrase, train, don't try. And I think that's really critical. If we want to change behavior, we have to lean more towards training versus trying. Um, in other words, uh, I'll give you an example. I, I, my wife at the time was my girlfriend. This was in high school school, believe it or not. We were dating in high school. And she gave me for my birthday a guitar. And because uh, I wanted I wanted to play the guitar. I really wanted to learn how to play it. Um, and so Derek, I tried to play the guitar. I tried. <laughs> I didn't get any lessons. I just tried. I did. I actually pulled it out and was strumming and you know I was doing pretty good. Um, chords. <laughs> and then honestly I can tell you, you know, we've been married 30 years now. That same guitar, you know, sits actually it's in my office. And if you were to ask me, can I play a song? Uh, I cannot play a song. <laughs> so, so what that tells you is I, I was waiting for this inspiration. Uh -huh. I, if I put myself under training, if I were to have gone to classes, if I would have put myself in an environment where I was forced to go to show up and to train, even if it were for five minutes a day, I'm moving forward and I'm actually becoming a guitar player. I'm actually, that's my identity now. I can play the guitar, but I can't. So yeah. that's what I'm going to work on. And I'm maybe one time I'll hopefully come back and share with your audience that, yeah, I can play a couple songs. <laughs> they can whip that out in your intro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I mean, one of the things I think sometimes too, like those of us that are um, in the field that also have a background in fitness, um, sometimes, you know, when we start talking about behavior change, um, a lot of people don't have, they haven't had the same background or, uh, I don't want to, they haven't had the same tendency to spend as much time as we have in like the fitness realm. And so, you know, I, I think sometimes people assume whatever we're doing is superhuman and then the message can get lost. It was, I just talked with a, a good friend of mine who has an organization called MS run the U S and she's, she, her, her mother, um, was suffering, um, had suffered from MS for a few years and she decided she wanted to run across the country. She was physically fit enough. She felt compelled that to, to do this, but also to raise money and awareness for MS and people impacted by MS. And when she got to the end of the relay, it was very, she said, 
she felt embarrassed because she didn't feel like she raised enough money. So she tried to figure out a way to do this differently. So she formed a 19 stage relay where individuals would raise money and then be fill out an application to participate. And what we talked about this, a lot of the people that are coming to do the relay, they may have a background in fitness, but a lot of them don't. A lot of them didn't run cross country in high school or track or play sports. They have a parent or a sibling or someone they know has been impacted by MS. So they decide they're going to start running and they're going to train enough where they can run basically a marathon a day for six or seven days. And that, that getting back to the reasons why you can, you know, there are ways to accomplish so many, and I'm not saying that everyone's capable of doing that. Um, We know that's not true. Right. But people are capable of doing a lot of things if their measuring stick is the reason why. Not not a goal that's short-sighted or nearsighted, but it's deeply personal, embedded to their soul. Their core of their soul is impacted by what they're doing. They'll learn how to run a marathon for seven days. You know, and I you know, and I had myself, I had this this other, you know, I had this other existential crisis when I had been doing a lot of really long distance running and I had signed up for this 50K race and I had run it before and I'd run great. So I thought I was a champion. <laughs> I mean, and by mean, by when I say I ran great, it means I, I jogged my way through the trail and I didn't die when I got to the end and I, and I got in under the time cap. So I'm not, an, I'm not a performer by any means, but I, I accomplished it. And the next year I, I decided I was going to run it again because this was central to who I who I really thought I was. Yeah. I did the these were things that I did because I loved the I loved the physical pursuit. I loved the pro, the time I had to think about life, which that was the critical. That was the most critical of all of this was that this gave me time to process. Mm-hmm. And so then I, when I got to halfway into this race, at this stage I, I felt. I had some stomach cramping and the humidity was a little high, but I had just lost the desire to do it. Mm-hmm. And one of my friends was there to check on me in between these rest stops because it was on a trail system. So you, you kind of run three or four miles and get to a rest stop. And, and I got to the rest stop about halfway in and, and my wife and family were at home and that's a couple hours away. And so I started doing some math. And if I just, if I turned in my tag now, I could still get the, get back home in time to maybe see the kids <laughs> right before they go to sleep. Right. And if I stay out on the trail and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to slog my way through the rest of this. And I just, I felt like I had lost the purpose. Right. And that may sound that that's, that's, you know, you're failing in a race isn't that big of a deal, but as I'm driving home, I felt really worried about, like, what does this mean? Like, I, it wasn't just that I didn't feel good and I dropped out of the race. It was like, I had completely lost all, all the positive feelings that running and this kind of running gave me where they weren't there. Right. And so I needed to create, I needed to go find a new path. I needed to find something that fulfilled me in the same way where I felt where I felt like I was getting something out of it. And that led me to go down the street to our, our local CrossFit gym and start doing that. And that's changed my life in mostly a positive way. Yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, it's, but, but there too, like 
and I tell and I will tell everyone this, it isn't the physical part of it that's the most important thing to me. It's the fact that I know that in that hour, I'm I'm gonna spend my time exerting myself, but I'm gonna be thinking a lot too. That hour means so much to me emotionally and mentally, more so than it does physically. And I think that's that's something that you can't get lost when we start talking about behavior changes, the emotional that emotional attachment to the time when we're doing stuff and how, how important is that to us? I couldn't agree with you more as you're speaking, you know, the, the phrase, um, you know, physical motion dramatically impacts our emotion. You know, we, Mm -hmm. there's no question we feel better, but I truly believe there's a spiritual dimension to motion. I really do, Derek. I think that absolutely that when we're involved, there's this, especially if you're in nature or you're having an opportunity to have a transcendent opportunity, but I think you can create that. There's a great word. Um, it's a Hebrew word. I ran across, I was doing some research on purpose and it's the word Kavana and it's beautiful. And, and what it means is intention. And actually it, the roots of it come from, um, Jewish rabbis, when they were teaching their students, they would tell their students when they came to study the sacred books or the scriptures, the Torah, they would tell them to come with Kavana, come with intention. And this is what they said to them. And it's beautiful. They said, when you come with Kavana, it, it's like a window to the soul. It opens the window to the soul. And I truly believe that when we come with intention, when we come with a sense of purpose and meaning, it opens up the window to our soul. And we see things, Derek, that we would normally not see. I've, I mean, we've all experienced this, but there, I believe through fitness and health, there are great opportunities to open that window to the soul, especially when you come with intention, especially when you come with a sense of Kavana. You learn things that you would have thought, oh my gosh. And I do believe there are those opportunities through suffering and difficulty like you experienced. It was a difficult race. I mean, you could have just beaten yourself up mercilessly and said, oh my gosh, what, what, what did I do wrong? And am I no longer going to be in the fitness realm? Am I not going to train? People have gone that direction, but you use it as an opportunity, a challenge, like, oh, I need to find something that does fulfill me, something that, that really does meet my needs um, physically, emotionally, and spiritually that that's no longer meeting. And I, it was a death for you, for you, I'm sure, in, in many ways that you were saying, no, I'm gonna, that's done. I'm moving on. Right. Um, you're right. Existential crisis for sure. You're facing death. You're looking at it, um, you know, firsthand. Well done. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's one of those, there's, um, and I'm, I really, I'm trying to remember who said it. There was, there's a, grounding in that in, in philosophy about the death consciousness, like going through these stages of our purpose. Um, you know, that's, I think it was John Paul Sartre and like you, you wake yourself up to what's really important when you're faced with a crisis. Like, so you don't have to really believe in French existentialism to understand that. I mean, that's the key point that that's, that's the opportunity that we talk about. So when we arrive at that point of, of a, a opportunity to work with someone who comes at you with a problem is, are we really solving the problem or are we creating the opportunity for them to change and open a new self up? And that is really where the beauty is and behavior changes when we open their eyes to something greater than what they had before. Because what they had before could possibly, it could be done. It could have 
been a part of their life that is now gone, whether that's a job change. And for some degree, I mean, that's when people are going through marriage changes and all these different things that they meet in their life is, is the ability to grow anew. Um, and that's something that we can definitely arrive at a point where we're understanding that that, that is wellness and well-being. Like that is a really important place for us to find ourselves with people is in that moment when, when that, then when that death consciousness is happening, right. we provide we let them know, no, this isn't, this isn't as bad as it feels. Mm. It's bad. We're going to go through this sure. but out of this. You're going to be resilient and you're going to open yourself up to new challenges. That's right. And you're not alone. Right. And Derek, I so appreciate what you're doing with this podcast and, and all that you're doing. Um, and as you led the show with this idea of authenticity, I mean, I think we need to continue to, share with people our struggles because as we do that, I think people gain strength mm -hmm. uh, in knowing that, you know what, I did go through that, but this is what I've learned. This is how I become stronger. This is how I've, I've really have changed mm -hmm. and grown. Um, I think we need those stories. We need wellness and well-being need to be a conversation about what's your story. Uh, we want to hear more about what you've overcome or what you're dealing with now and how we can work together to, help you um, learn from this and grow from this and, and exactly. really it's an opportunity. Exactly. Exactly. What, what can we do now? <laughs> the big question. So what do you, what are you going to challenge us with to move into new phases for ourselves? Yeah. So, what we're working on right now is creating what we call a meaning map um, where literally you can put down much like uh, you and I've worked together on Derek on creating exercises for individuals. I really believe there are five areas. If I were to give folks just five areas that they can begin to look at, mm -hmm. uh, I would start personally with what we call the core. Start with your identity. Who do you want to be? Who are you? And I, I love, um, Oh, it was Alice in Wonderland, right? When the caterpillar, Alice met the caterpillar and yeah. he asked, who are <laughs> you, right? And that was such a deep question, right? I mean, this idea of really, who are you? It's a profound question. But I think James Clear really nails it by asking, who do you want to be, right? Who do you want to be? Who do you want to become? This is Seligman's work on your best self. Who do you want to become, right? And I think that that's critical. We, we can start there um, and then start asking yourself those questions of who is this? Per For example, if you want to become an athlete, I want to picture myself as an athlete. What do athletes do? Now, the first thought would be exercise. And you brought up a great point, Derek. You know, our first thought, and I used to teach this, Derek, I'm sad to say, I would tell everybody the blah, 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 right? Like three to five days a week, regular aerobic activity, you know, 20 to 60 minutes at a time. I realized that message, while it's good and it's very helpful, many people aren't there. Mm -hmm. So like BJ Fogg, you know, for him, he was struggling. He was doing all this research and, you know, writing on behavior. And he was noticing that his physical strength began, he was atrophying big time, he was sitting a lot. Yeah. And so he just decided, I'm going to start um, putting my own work to practice. So this is what he did. He determined after I go to the bathroom, I will, and this is where he set up this model, after I, whatever the behavior is that you're, we call this anchor habits, right? Mm -hmm. 
pair up an anchor habit of typical behavior you normally do, like going to the bathroom. All of us have to go to the bathroom throughout the day. And so he decided every time I go to the bathroom, after I go to the bathroom, I will do two push-ups. <laughs> two push-ups, Derek. Two. And he makes a point. I didn't do them in the bathroom. I walked out of the bathroom. I did them right next to the bathroom. But he started with just two push-ups. And James Clear makes this very, very point in his book, Atomic Habits. He talks about start small, make it simple, make it easy, right? Two push-ups. We all could do that. Don't make it, I've got to do 50 push-ups or 20 push-ups or even 10 push-ups. Start with two. Yeah. That now, if you start with that two, maybe it will become four and then five and then eight and then 10. But you're realizing that identity of becoming an athlete. Athletes train and you're training, even though it's two reps every time you go to the bathroom. And this is what happened to BJ Fogg. Oh my gosh, his strength levels improved, his habit formation occurred. So I would have people start with their core, start with their identity. And then the second level would be character. And this is all of Seligman's work. Um, begin to look at your strengths. What are you especially good at? What would you say that is unique to you? I know, Derek, for, I've told you this. You are an incredible communicator, an incredible writer. There's like a gift set given to you and thinker, right? That's why I'm so glad you're doing this podcast. No, I'm true. I mean, I, I mean that sincerely that having those as a strength, and you've got many other strengths, but I would encourage your listeners, uh, really via, I believe it's via.org, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'll, I'll double check that. But Seligman's work, he's got a great questionnaire that's free that you can go online to identify your specific strengths and your values. Mm -hmm. So character is critical, identifying what you're best at. And then the third area, this really relates to a sense of calling. Um, this is really what we would call a transcendent summons, where you, I think sometimes people there passively wait for that voice to tell us what to do and where to go and what your purpose may be. Right. But the, the better approach is to actively experiment. You brought it up earlier. How do you experience a sense of flow in your life, Right. When do you notice like time just passes by? What are activities that you enjoy doing so much so that you would do them for free, right? If no one paid you, you'd do them. And if you could do them forever, what would it be? Mm -hmm. um, many people, it's drawing, it's art, it's speaking, it's writing. But finding what those, those unique sense of calling may be for you. That's a wonderful exercise to perform. And then really the fourth level, Derek, is a sense of cause. Finding that mission or that people group or that sense of, of especially what are you passionate about? What makes you angry? Uh, when you read the newspaper and you read it and you get ticked off, what is it? That may be something that you, that's a cause. And you may feel like, oh, I wish someone would do something about that. Well, maybe that's you. Maybe that's what your unique strengths and, and you know, your sense of calling. Maybe you are being called to this cause right now. I always have people start with their family. Um, it may be themselves, their family, their community, their neighborhood. Look around themselves. And um, the fifth area would really be diving into your credo. The credo is this idea of, of your belief. If you were to write out, uh, and Derek, you actually taught me this, 
this six word why statement, right? <laughs> Try and keep it below six words. Yep. I work with people and it's been longer. I couldn't agree with you more. Keep it short, keep it simple, but something that you can put on your desk, on your nightstand and remind yourself every day, this is my credo. This is who I am. This is my essence. This is my sense of purpose. And begin to take those five things and literally, I think that's, if we start there, Derek, and then let's start talking about our physical health. Then let's start talking about our emotional, relational, and spiritual health. Let's start here with the why, and then let's build a story and a map to help people really connect their why to well-being. Yeah, I, I appreciate all your kind words. And in, most importantly, though, I appreciate this path that you're that you're paving out here that makes so much sense and, and you know like you said when you and i talk it's like hey yeah i agree with you i agree with you that's awesome you know but i think that's but i but i think that we both have clued in on our field has been an, an incredible it's rich it's deep but there's something there that we still need to go search and that is really the essence of who we are because well-being is not something that exists in a vacuum of just physical health. And I think we've for years relied on traditional wellness models that were perfect pies that teach you to live a balanced life without breaking that into relatable values for us. And I think that's where your work and, and I love what Ryan Piccarella has done with the wellness model at Wellcoa. It's to move away from a pie chart of these equal perfect and list, instead of talking about how good are we in our social health today or how is our physical health today, what we're talking about is resiliency, connectedness, and really these these philosophical questions that have been lingering for hundreds and thousands of years. And, and, you know, and I know I've, I've read a couple of times, like philosophy is dead as a Stephen Hawking quote, or that we're in this post philosophical world because of the way that we consume data and right. the whole, the whole social, the whole idea of, of things like Facebook connecting users and the way that the algorithms work. Are we in this post philosophical phase? My argument is we're not even, we haven't even tapped into it yet. We're, if we, if we can meet that bridge, that gap between the philosophical journeys and what it ultimately means for our health, then we have arrived at excellence as a, as a species. Like we, there, there it is, it's staring us right in the face. And when we talk about it, these are the things that make the most difference to people when we're dealing with behavior change areas, like whether it's a presentation or whether it's in our coaching and counseling and some of the work we do are building these, these models and these tools for people to use is, is we've really moved away from focusing on the specific health risk or how many vegetables are you eating a day? That's great. But what we want to know is who are you and how do you feel about that? Yeah, it's such do you know? A, do you know? Yeah. And if you can answer those questions then all the rest of the stuff, sure, it, it makes it a lot easier to talk to you about all this other stuff. So absolutely, I just, I cannot say, you know, I cannot be more appreciative of the work that you're doing in that area. So thank you. Thank you, Derek. I, I really appreciate that. Well, we're, is there anything else here as we're finishing up on our highway to well journey here that we didn't talk about that we promised ourselves that we were going to talk about? Uh, we covered so much. Um, 
Yeah, I just want to encourage your listeners to to keep listening to your show um, because I know what's very cool about what you're doing is you're helping them dive into these topics. So I mentioned those five areas. Literally, stand right. a show on each area um, and dive into. Oh, you literally could do an entire workshop on each area. Um, but I would just encourage people to start the journey. If you haven't been looking in this area of your life, start asking those questions. Start, start with your exercise of, of what object would you be? Begin that storytelling. Um, I would love for people to begin to start writing their story, looking back, looking at the present and looking forward. Um, because we, we have an opportunity to write a new page every day. We really do. Yeah. And that six word credo is so powerful when you get people to sit down and really write again, it's that creative process. I, I keep going back. Most of the time we have these discussions, it always ends up being back to a creative process that helps us arrive there. So um, maybe that's because I always studied art and went to college on an art scholarship. So I'm going to I love it. I'm going to sneak creativity in there somewhere, but I failed out of graphic design. So, <laughs> so I, I, I envy you. I envy you and I envy it. Yeah. So I try to, I just keep driving, driving creativity into this discussion, but that, that combination of creativity process and ownership of, of that, ex, that existential journey. And then, you have all these tools, these five things, or it's the idea mapping and the object self-portrait, your six words. They will all ultimately help people get to that point where they want to get. For sure. For sure. Well, here we are. I have one last question for you. Yes. yes. How do you feel about John Cougar Mellencamp? <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the guy. Oh, thank you. I have been preaching his awesomeness to everyone. And, and a couple of the other people that I've, I've had on or I've talked to, they just totally dismiss how incredibly valuable John oh, Cougar Mellencamp is. Yeah, don't be my a life. <laughs> oh, no, that's some, that's some good workout music there, bro. Oh, completely. <laughs> Even though no one else thinks so. <laughs> so if we ever work out, feel free to pump John Cougar Mellencamp as loud as you want. Because that will that will help me probably actually do an overhead squat to form. <laughs> All right, Sean. Well, thank you so much for joining me here. Thanks, dear. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. Really yeah. appreciate we'll, we'll, um, we'll have you. We're definitely we'll have you back on here soon after we after we figure out some more things in this in this great big world and you might play out what we missed that we wanted to chat about today. Yeah. That both of us will email each other saying, "Oh, I forgot this." <laughs> so, but I want to say thank you and and looking forward to working with you here in the future. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. All the best. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.